Our next speaker is, you, you, I don't know how many of you people actually know who Mike May is. Um, Mike. <laughs> you know, Mike May is truly one of the most humble men that I have ever met. And if you ever go and you go on the Internet and you read about him, you just be in awe. He has such an amazing story to tell. He has so many accomplishments. He is really perhaps the, the most athletic person that one could ever know. He is brilliant. He's a businessman. He is the founder of Sendero Group. So for, yes. Amen to Sendero Group because uh, a lot of us wouldn't have made it here without Sendero Group today. <laughs> But his company has really uh, eliminated one of the most difficult barriers for a visually impaired person. I know for me, the most difficult thing about being blind is how do you get from one place to the other? And with GPS from Sendero Group, uh, things are really so much, much more available. So at this time, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Michael May, who is truly one of the most demanded speakers throughout the world in the area of vision. So, Mike May, thank you. Well, thanks very much for the introduction, uh, Dr. Bill. It was nice meeting you at uh, a Stevie Wonder concert here a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk to you today uh, to uh, tell a little bit about my own story and to accentuate some of the things that you've heard already. I love hearing stories about what I call workarounds. And uh, off to the right side of the room here, we have these vendors. They're all about workarounds. These are adaptive tools and techniques that help us manage our different way of approaching life when we can't see things. And so I encourage you to get over there and see what they have to offer. And I spend a good part of my life developing adaptive tools and technologies in a very selfish way for myself because these things help me get around, help me arrive here today on time at this event and uh, give me a, a, a lot of participation in life. I went blind from a chemical explosion when I was three years old, lived in Silver City, New Mexico, and through a freak set of circumstances, uh, I ended up totally blind. But the good news is I lived because the alternative uh, was quite uh, possible at that time because I had over 300 stitches in a little three-year-old body, lost lots of blood, was in the hospital for six months. And so I came out of that situation with parents who, of course, were not trained in raising a visually impaired kid. They were just young, in their 20 parents that uh, were trying to figure out how to deal with, at that time, uh, two kids, and a third one on the way. So I lived and they were rather happy about that. So that really helped shape my perspective in life because bottom line, no matter what happened, my mom and dad always said, we're, we're so happy you're here, and being blind, well, that's no big deal. And that really makes a big difference in how you approach life. I went through regular public schools. We moved to California from New Mexico to the San Francisco Bay Area because my parents looked for the schools that were uh, the best for me. At the time, we had programs where you went into a, all the blind kids from a particular community went to the same school. So it was kind of a hybrid of what you have today with mainstreaming 
and, and not going to a school for the blind. It was in between. So I went through those schools, and then high school, I was the only blind person in that high school, right when it was transitioning to mainstreaming. Then I went to UC Davis, uh, starting out in electrical engineering, ending up in political science. And as anybody with a political science degree soon finds out, there's no jobs. <laughs> there's this little point that uh, I had to deal with when I got out of college, blind or sighted, it's pretty hard to find a job with that kind of background. So I ended up going back to graduate school in Washington, D.C. and getting a master's in international affairs. And things sort of started to happen for me then, but it was still a major challenge. Once I got that degree, uh, I got my first real job working for the CIA. And we're not talking about the Cultural uh, or Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> this is the real CIA in McLean, Virginia. And I can't tell you what I did. I can tell you a little bit about what I did. I was a political risk analyst on Africa. And I was essentially the equivalent of a newspaper reporter. I had a certain countries that I was in charge of, and I had to study those every day. And the major workaround was that all my sighted colleagues got a pile of cable traffic and printed materials over a foot tall. And that's how they read the various information about their countries and the leaders in those countries and the economics and the military action. I had to find a way around it. Fortunately, the director of the CIA at the time, Admiral Turner, said, we will do whatever it takes to help you be successful in this job. You know, if you do anything in life, find people like that. Your parents, your teachers, your coworkers, find people who want to enable you to be successful, and that will really help you. Because you don't do these things on your own, blind or sighted. So that was a key person in my life because we did find a way for me to get through all of that using computers. Today, it wouldn't be a big deal. At that time, it was a big deal. So I had to find the workarounds to make that kind of thing successful. Uh, I, th I then went on from the CIA uh, to come back to California and look for a job. And I got more job interviews than my sighted friends and uh, uh, fellow students but nobody ever said, uh, yeah, we want to hire you. It was an amazing time. I've spent a year playing guitar on the street, making some money, and then putting on a suit in the afternoon and going and interviewing at banks. It was, it was quite a, a, a paradox of life. Eventually, I got offered a job by the Bank of California and worked on new product development with them. And I really haven't had to job interview since then. Uh, all of the jobs that I've been involved in have had workarounds, each one of them. I went to work then for uh, a defense contractor, and then I got involved in startup companies, and that's really where I've been since then. I worked on a company that developed the world's first and only laser turntable. It played standard vinyl records. Some of you might have heard of those. I know Lewis has. Uh, and it played those records with a, a laser turntable, kind of like a big CD player. And we developed and marketed that product. We raised $7 million to fund it, uh, which was a rather huge undertaking. Uh, a blind person out there asking people to hand over their checkbooks and, and put that kind of money behind us. It was an amazing experience. 
but I had to find a way to do it, and we collaborated on that with, with a, a small team of engineers from that defense contractor. And we learned a lot about how to make things happen. And the interesting thing was, as I started reflecting back, once I got into this startup company world, I realized that being a blind person, you were always in training to be an entrepreneur because you're learning from whatever age you go blind how to adapt. And adaptability is a skill. So guess what? There's something we talk about in software that's called a bug. And sometimes you find a bug that also happens to be a feature. For example, the guy who invented those bumps that go down the middle of roads that are called bots dots made millions of dollars because he realized that as he was driving down the road and there were bumps and there were potholes, they, they kind of woke you up. They made you pay attention. Well, what if you organized those bumps down the middle of the road and voila, he had a product, Bots Dots. And he and his family are very wealthy because they now got you know, one cent for each one of those dots all around the world. That was a bug. That pothole was turned into a feature. Blindness can also be a feature. I mean, look at Jake meeting all those cool people from USC and ESPN and becoming a speaker. Uh, look at what Lewis had accomplished and so many other people. They found workarounds. They found ways that their blindness and their ability to be adaptable has really shaped their opportunities and their careers. And look at you know where they're going and what they're doing with it now. So for me, starting up companies... I was used to the fact that people said, no, you can't do this. There's no way. And I learned to adopt the approach to life that there is always a way. It's usually not obvious. And if you can't see, it's really not obvious. <laughs> but it's out there. You just have to find it. It entails bumps and bruises, scrapes, bumping your head against the wall. Sometimes, as an entrepreneur, you even find out, you know what, I've invested enough money in this project the market isn't right, it's too early, whatever, it's time to throw in the towel. That's part of it. You don't just keep beating your head against the wall uh, until you bash your brains out. I mean, there is a point where you say, let's find another way. But there always is a way if you keep looking for it. And it's about finding those workaround, using those adaptive tools and techniques. So as blind people, we learn to read differently, we learn to navigate differently, cook, all these things. And in the process, we learn these cool things about how to adapt to life. So becoming an entrepreneur is kind of a neat thing. Since the uh, laser turntable, I've worked on some other projects. Some have been successful, some haven't. We had this one project uh, called the bun warmer. And you now have something called hand warmers that warm up your hands with this powder that starts uh, oxidizing in heat. Uh, in air, and it heats up your hands. Well, we we uh, developed that originally, and it was in a heating, uh, about a one-foot pad that you could get a football stadiums to sit on, hence the bun warmer. <laughs> and it didn't end up being really successful. It would, turned out to be more useful in medical environments for warming people up after uh, in emergency situations or search and rescue than it ended up being in sports stadiums for other reasons, but it was a, it was a cool project. Uh, then I got involved in adaptive technology starting in 1991 and where I've really been since. 
working on adaptive computers, and then in uh, 2000, starting the Sendero Group, where we have GPS for the blind. And again, this was a very selfish kind of thing that I was developing, because I realized with GPS technology and massive databases of information, wouldn't it be cool to walk down the street and have every business announced to me so I know what's there? And that's what we have today, that kind of technology, which is becoming almost commonplace, but is a huge tool, whereas for a sighted person, it's kind of nice, and it is useful to have GPS to get you places. More and more people are depending on it. For a blind person, it becomes essential because you don't have an alternative. You can't use your eyeballs to look and see the street signs or the business names. You just have this technology. So it's a huge uh, tool that we need in our bag of tricks as we navigate through life. One other twist in my path over life was something I never expected, which was the opportunity to have an operation that would give me some vision. I was totally blind until I was 46 years old, and then I had a stem cell transplant, which replaced the scar tissue in my one remaining eye to, with healthy tissue, and then I had a cornea transplant, and I was able to regain some vision. And this provided me with an interesting perspective as well as a lot of entertainment. <laughs> it was amazing to all of a sudden see colors after not seeing them since age three and to see stars and uh, many, many things. But I was low vision. I wasn't full vision. I couldn't drive a car. That would have been useful. I couldn't read a book. That would have been useful. But I could stand in a line and see the person move forward in front of me. That was kind of cool. Uh, I could look around the room and see the doorways over there, the windows over there. It was fun seeing bright lights that might give me some navigation information. But the interesting thing I learned as a person who went the opposite direction from most people, that is, they have full vision, then they lose their vision, and all of a sudden I regained some, I realized that it was kind of like icing on the cake. It was cool, but it wasn't that big a deal. And a lot of people who are losing their vision say, oh, come on, I would give anything to have my vision back. But it's really all about the fact that I'd spent my life learning alternative tools and techniques, so I didn't need the vision as much as somebody who hadn't learned those techniques. I knew how to get around. I traveled around the world. I could use a cane well. I used to see an eye dog, as I am right now, because I couldn't see the curbs. I could see the tree or I could see the car parked along the sidewalk, but I didn't have enough depth perception to see where the curb was or where there were steps or overhangs or many other things. So I still needed the dog for my mobility. So I learned over the course of some time how to use my vision with my alternative tools and techniques in order to make the most of my new low vision situation. So it was pretty fascinating to regain some vision, but then also to learn, hey guys, we can do this just fine without it. It's cool, but it's not that big a deal. Um, a few more things before I wrap up. Uh, I want to mention it's really important, as I said, to find the people who leverage you in life. And I find this in my company. Sendero Group is successful and has done well because of some really amazing people who, who work with me and share the passion and the information and the skills and, and they they help leverage me. 
My mother was huge in my life. Uh, she passed away a couple of years ago, uh, but was a major factor. She was born and raised in Chile in South America and uh, was quite a pioneer herself and conveyed, con- conveyed that spirit to me. My wife, uh, my, uh, a couple of key orientation and mobility instructors, my math teacher in fourth and fifth grade, uh, some of my business partners. Uh, I, I have a personal board of directors, so whenever I have a, a major decision in life to make, I go to four or five people and I say, okay, here's, here's the deal. Tell me how it is. And uh, they're a cross-section of these kinds of people. Like the speakers before me, I've had some pretty amazing experiences. I probably wouldn't have had if it weren't for the fact that I was blind. One thing I've been privileged to do is to meet four presidents over the course of uh, several years. The first was Jimmy Carter when I worked at the CIA, and he came over for a, a business meeting, and I got a chance to meet him. I'll never forget when the Secret Service came up to me and they said, will your dog bite the president? <laughs> and being, you know, it just sort of popped out of my mouth. I probably shouldn't have said it, but I said, well, she hasn't bitten anybody else. I don't know why she'd bite the president. Uh, I subsequently met Pro- uh, President Ronald Reagan, which I'll come back to in a second. And uh, when I worked in, I was at Moffett Field uh, working for Arkenstone in the late 90s when President Clinton came, and, and I met him, and I'll never forget the fact that they, the Secret Services said, don't, don't ask him to sign anything. And I had this book called The Senate Mouse and the House Mouse, which one of my kids wanted signed. And, the, and uh, President Clinton came up to me, and he says, or to my son, he says, would you like me to sign that for you, young man? I said, I think I'll vote for that guy. <laughs> Uh, so met him, and then uh, most recently, uh, in 2009, I've, I've been back to the White House as many as uh, five or six times for various meetings with the Obama administration officials uh, and cabinet secretaries, working on accessibility things, and uh, that culminated in an actual meeting with President Obama. We got to sit down around a table and talk about what would be useful for disabled people, what would be useful for blind people, and we came up with some ideas uh, which are being worked on to this day. He subsequently invited me back to be a representative at the Paralympics of the White House, and I went as part of the, uh, his contingent to the Paralympics uh, uh, last year. And this kind of circles back to um, Ronald Reagan. Uh, I went to the regular Olympics in Sarajevo in 1984, and... Uh, there's a book that was written about me called Crashing Through, and, and some of this comes back to the, the Sarajevo Olympics when I crashed the Olympics and I skied a demonstration run, the first and only by a blind person in the regular Olympics. And uh, I also competed in the Paralympics and, and won a bunch of medals and helped change, te- change techniques for how blind people are guided. And when the Olympic team was honored at the White House after the Sarajevo Olympics, I was the only disabled athlete invited. And I was quite honored to be there, and I felt like I was representing all of those athletes and future athletes to come and people like you, uh, my my brother, uh, disabled folks. And uh, towards the end of the speech, Ronald Reagan, who was a very eloquent speaker, 
surprised me with some words that I'll leave you with because they really apply to you as much today and to me as they did to every, all of us in 1984. As I stood around with Olympic athletes like Scott Hamilton from, the, from ice skating and Phil Mayer from downhill skiing and many others, and he said, I'd like to offer a special note of congratulations to two other American medal winners in Winter Olympic sports, Mike May and Ron Salviola, and Ron was my guide. Mike, you and the other competitors here are testimony to all young people that they should never be afraid to dream big dreams, and they should never hesitate to try to make those dreams a reality. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Goosebumps going down my back right now. That's, that's just beautiful.